It's amazing how if you're willing to take the chance on political activism, things move very, very quickly if you just keep showing up and doing the work. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have much more to do. For weeks, we've been talking about how Democratic Texas state legislators are making good and necessary trouble to protect voting rights. And today we're gonna hear from one. That's right. State Representative Erin Sweener joins us from Washington, D.C., where she and other Democrats are staying to prevent quorum in the Texas State House. She talks to us about what's next and what they hope to accomplish in D.C. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And, and this, this is How, How We Win. I'm so excited about your conversation with Representative Zwiener. Yeah, we've been talking about, they. I think when we started Hero of the Week segment, mm-hmm. uh, the Texas Democrats um, were our, hero, our first heroes of the week. So it's great to talk to one of uh, my personal heroes and, <laughs> <laughs> and hear uh, you know, what they've been doing, what is coming up in the next week, what advice they have gotten from senators there. Um, it was a really great interview that uh, heavily features her beautiful three-year-old daughter, Lark, as well. Oh, that's so awesome. Yes. So they, the, the, the Texas folks just had to pack up what they could and, and get out of the state. And, and uh, I guess Lark is along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that, you know, um, they make uh, $600 a month to be a state representative in Texas. And, um, you know, child care is an issue for uh, a lot of working moms and representatives Wiener uh, included in that. So, yeah, obviously they meet in Austin. It's very expensive in Austin right now. Um, uh, and some you folks know that can't. very well. Yeah. yeah. Some folks can't afford these special sessions when they have to, to stay longer than planned. So um, it's a, a interesting, interesting method of getting people in into office and staying in office. Um, <laughs> But before we get to the interview, I think the big news that everyone is talking about, we were recording this on Tuesday, a few hours ago, um, we saw the first civilians, I guess, space tourists Mm. go up into space for for a few minutes. That was interesting. Or as you said last week, space adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) They did hit zero gravity. So, you know, they got to float around. They went a little bit further than the Virgin Galactica and Richard Branson did the, mm-hmm. the week before troll that he was. He, he got up there <laughs> a little bit earlier. Um, if, the, if, if Netflix hasn't already optioned a movie for this weird space race story, I, I guarantee you it's, it's like happening next week and, and we'll see the filmed version in a couple of months. Oh, it's got to be a satire about the billionaire <laughs> space race. And uh, Elon Musk is next, right? Right, With right, SpaceX. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I have conflicted feelings about this whole thing because I guess, you know, maybe maybe they're on the verge of a, a new frontier like the, the Wright brothers were. 
but it, and I, I, I guess we'll need to go to space at some point. It will become more affordable. I, I don't know why why we would need to go, but who who knows what's happening in the future. But you know, you can't help but look at this and the timing of it all, and you know how Bezos made his money. You know, selling things on Amazon, taking down small businesses, avoiding taxes, and, and you you know think of the 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 Gil Scott Heron song Whitey on the Moon. There's so much going on right now, and uh, so much money being being spent to send these folks, uh, yeah. this group of white people, into space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what the point of it is, and and I've I've was watching a lot of coverage of it and hearing from a diverse panel of astronauts and people, you know, people formerly involved in NASA and talking about how important it is to mm -hmm. uh, continue this investment in, uh, but you know. Maybe the year, like the, the second year of the pandemic wasn't the <laughs> they, yeah. they wanted to, I think they wanted to coincide with the anniversary of, of the moon landing, but like that that happened on this day but when these guys could end so uh childhood poverty uh yeah. it's a little hard to well i'm also today thinking about mackenzie scott formerly bezos who's given away like six billion dollars to, to yeah. charities this year so. she was trending on twitter as he was going up in space she was trending because of all the good she has done with her money so listen maybe this will be a, a like it will lead to amazing research that will help us back here on earth because because we need some help um with these hundred year floods in europe wildfires across the west and you were telling me uh about swapping temperatures basically uh, right it's hard to ignore climate change when it, everyone is being affected by it i will say just to tie this in to uh Bezos, who did in his press conference talk about his initiative to fight climate change and how this reinforced that um, for him. And that's where he wants to keep his focus right now. That's where he's going to put all of his time and energy into that and uh, the continued space stuff. So hopefully we'll have an advocate. I think, you know, he should also pay taxes. Um, but yeah, that's a good idea. That would, that would help. Just. <laughs> You know, him paying his fair share of taxes would make a massive impact, uh, have a massive impact on our country. But sure, send some more of your dong ships into space and, you know, we'll <laughs> That see was a big flying penis. I'm sorry. I know rockets are, but that was specifically, come Why on. Why make it look like that? <laughs> the design of that ship. He's just asking for the satire to be written. <laughs> Anyway. All right. Well, let's talk about our hero of the week. The Olympics start on Friday. I love the Olympics, by the way. The summer games. My yeah. Um, and my hero of the week is Allison Felix, who is an incredible runner, and she's partnering with the company Athleta and the Women's Sports Foundation, and they've created a grant program that's giving $200,000 to help fund childcare costs 
for moms who are competitive athletes and have to travel. Um, Allison has been to the Olympics five times and uh, has talked about how challenging it is to balance her training schedule, uh, her travel schedule, and childcare. She has a, a toddler, and it wasn't clear to her whether she was going to be able to bring her child to, to the Tokyo Olympics with her. So um, she um, is spearheading this effort to provide childcare, which is huge. And I think the, the interesting thing that the Olympics highlight every four years is these athletes are so good. They're the best in the world. They're so committed, but they don't get paid unless they get sponsorships or win prize money. And that takes a lot. So uh, to to continue living your dreams of, of being a world-class athlete and having a child, oh, that sounds tough. So mm. a little bit, this is, this is going to go a long way to help people. That's Awesome. We need so much more investment in uh, in childcare services for um, for working moms all over mm -hmm. our country. We we were talking about that at the beginning of this. We talk about it a little bit in our interview. Um, but uh, good for her for doing that. And um, I am also excited about the Olympics. Um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Delayed a year, and uh, and they're still you know fighting. Uh, some infections and uh, and protocols there um, in Tokyo, but it's going to be exciting to watch the athletes. And it's it's going to be weird. There's going to be hardly any spectators. Right. I was going to go last year. Were you? I oh, that's, that's right. You were. Yeah, yeah. And I was so excited. And man, different world. Yeah. But I'll be watching on TV. Me too. We'll be co-watching. Nope. Time to talk about our reasons for hope. What's yours this week? Okay, so this is uh, has been a long time coming, and it's not a done deal yet, but uh, there's an article in the New York Times that popped up this morning. States and cities near tentative $26 billion deal in opioid cases. Uh, mm. The agreement would end thousands of lawsuits against the three largest distributors and J&J &J and require them to pay billions for addiction treatment wow. and prevention. So. Uh, this opioid epidemic we have in our country has gotten progressively worse and uh, has gotten uh, much worse during the coronavirus epidemic as well, so, uh, or pandemic, I should say. Um, so this is not a done deal. It's, they're still in talks. This is just some early reporting about uh, where they think they'll have a resolution. Um, but seeing some accountability happen and, uh, and then having that money go where it needs to go for addiction treatment and prevention is a huge, huge hopeful step in the right direction to fighting this uh, epidemic. That's, that's big news, important news for a lot of communities. Um, so that is very hopeful. What about you? What's your reason for hope? My reason for hope is um, this bipartisan effort that actually happened late last year. Um, Republicans and Democrats in Congress came together to provide $400 million for young adults who had recently transitioned out of foster care. You know, foster care is one of my soapboxes that I like yes, to get it on. Is. Um, so they gave this money to the states and said, Use it however you see fit, but it's got to go to uh, former foster youth by September. September's almost here. They fast-tracked this, so it's great. 
not all the states have distributed the money. People need to know that this money exists and that it needs to get used up um, by September uh, or Congress needs to extend the deadline on it. But if either one of those things happen, then a lot of vulnerable young adults who really struggle during the pandemic will have a leg up. So uh, please help spread the word and, and, and let people know that this is, this is something that needs to happen. That is very exciting and hopeful. That's a great reason for hope. And um, thank you for the work you do around foster kids. So important and you just do amazing work around it. So thank you, Mariah. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. I'm helping helping the foster youth uh, use their own voices to talk to Congress and, and the Senate and get st- all this stuff done. And this bill was passed in part uh, because they were so vocal during the pandemic about how badly they were struggling without the support of, of family uh, mm. and, and a monetary cushion to help them. Mm. Well, uh, speaking of telling your stories to uh, Congress, here's a segue. Let's talk nice. about <laughs> let's talk about this week's to do list. This is a great to do item, and it's very relevant to this interview that we have coming up. It was uh, Rep. Zwiener's request. I, I asked her what we could do to help the Texas. Uh, Um, Democrats who are in D.C. right now. And she said, make calls to your reps and ask them to meet with us. They are trying to meet with all of the senators and Congress people to tell their stories, to tell how uh, restrictive the uh, voter laws in Texas already are, uh, not to mention how repressive and egregious these new laws are. So they're there spending their their time breaking quorum, meeting with everyone that they can. Uh, so our work this week is to call our reps and tell them to meet with the Texas Dems. Uh, they are pushing for the For the People Act. They're pushing for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. So that's something that we have been pushing very hard ourselves. Let's continue to push for it this week. Will do. I am going to... Oh, wait. Yes. I, I wonder... Yeah, I'm going to find out if my if my Congress member has met with the Texas Stems yet. I would hope so, but I got to do some research. Um, but now let's hear firsthand from Representative Zwiener in this awesome interview that you did with her. Erin Zwiener is an author, educator, and conservationist who is currently serving her second term in the Texas House of Representatives. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Natural Resource Conservation, a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing, and is a three-time Jeopardy! champion, which is super cool. Uh, She's currently in D.C. with the majority of her Democratic caucus heroically fighting against voter suppression legislation, which is definitely super cool. Representative Zwiener, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Yeah. So um, first of all, I know we all want to hear what's going on in D.C. right now um, with your caucus, but um, I want to hear a little bit about your origin story first, because you're Uh, a great example of an activist and organizer who decided to step up and run for office yourself. What was your first experience uh, volunteering and what made you jump into action? 
Uh, my my first experience volunteering was actually knocking on doors for Barack Obama's 2008 campaign. Nice. Uh, up in the Missoula, Montana area. Uh, so sort oh. of, fitting, I mean, doing a little bit of volunteering, but um, nothing that intense. And then I did a little bit of phone banking for Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. uh, as well. But I sort of on different life tracks. You know, I worked for a nonprofit um, conservation organizations for a while. And then I was getting my MFA in creative writing. And I finished that degree in 2016, headed home to Texas uh, right after the 2016 election. Right. Um, uh, I think I was like, we were in the car driving two days after. And uh, I had been planning to look for nonprofit jobs again and decided I just needed to throw myself into organizing. I saw something about the Hamilton electors on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I sent one email to someone who went by the name Jane Adams. Clearly not a real name, but referring back to founding fathers and mothers. Right. Um, sent one email, and the next thing I knew, I was told I was the lead organizer for the Hamilton electors in Texas, and that we were putting together a big demonstration for the electoral college vote. Um, so you were you were voluntold. <laughs> I, I was voluntold. Oops, sorry for the toddler in the background. That's okay. That's Lark. Yes, that is four ducks, Munchkin. Yeah, she's counting the animals on Sesame Street while we're talking. <laughs> uh, so I was um, told I was <laughs> running things for the Hamilton electors. Um, there were about five other people who were told they were running things with this demonstration for other organizations. And we were all tossed together in a Slack channel. Um, you know, a, a core group of about seven of us got together and organized this, you know, couple thousand person demonstration at the Capitol, asking our electors to vote for anybody not named Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, uh, they didn't listen to us. <laughs> I remember that so well. I, I, you know, just desperately hanging on to any, like any way that this guy could not be our president. Yeah. Well, and what was so powerful about it for me was seeing how critical Texas is. Um, you know, Texas had some delays in casting their electoral votes. They had some people that, you know, there was some legal question whether or not they could be electors had a couple people who had publicly said they wouldn't vote for Trump. Uh, so they went through and uh, replaced people, took a lot of time doing that. Um, and so by the time Texas voted, they had their electors vote, they were one of the last states in the country. And everybody was waiting for us because Texas, with our electoral votes and being the biggest Republican state in the nation, we had enough votes just here in Texas where if every elector went rogue, Trump couldn't be president. Mm. So national news was watching us waiting for the vote to happen. Oh, we yeah. were this giant linchpin. And I looked at that, I looked at that moment and went, how can I not be a part of trying to change the tide of this state? Yeah. Because as um, our, our former uh, deputy executive director of the Democratic Party, Cliff Walker, says down here, save Texas, save the nation, save the world. Mm. And it, it really is true. We do have the power in this state if we can flip it blue to change the entire political conversation in the nation. I, I went to my husband. I said, I know we talked about me finding this nice nonprofit job. How do you feel about me diving into politics instead? <laughs> Not sure it pays, but kind of want to do it. <laughs> right. It doesn't was, pay for, uh, yeah. you know. Just for people who don't know, you know, being a, a state rep is is not a profitable line of work. Uh, yes, we make six hundred dollars a month. 
Um, yeah. And so I, I dove into organizing. I actually got involved with my local Indivisible chapter. Mm -hmm. I organized a town hall for my U.S. representative, Congressman Roger Williams. Uh, he did not show up. He did go to the Republican meeting across the street, but he did not join us. And at that, I just saw how important representative democracy is and how much I wanted to be a part of making sure we had responsive elected officials. I learned who my uh, Texas state representative was, realized I had a lot of disagreement issues with him. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that Trump had only won the district by five points. And I went, that's, that's in play. Mm -hmm. I went looking for the Democrat who was running against him so I could help them. And I discovered he had been unopposed in 2016. There hadn't been a Democrat running against him. There was a Libertarian, but no Democrat in 2014. Wow. The last time anyone had tried was 2012. And so before I knew it, I was the Democrat running. <laughs> Got a lot more complicated on the way. I did end up with a primary and a runoff. But that first step was because somebody needed to step forward. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did. Well, that's amazing, and and I, I'm sure so inspiring for a lot of our listeners because the whole point of this show, I love your story because the whole point of this show is showing that when people step out of their comfort zone a little bit, maybe stick up their hand and say, I'll do something, and then it just snowballs. And before you know it, listeners, you're running for office. <laughs> well, speaking of the work you're doing in office right now um, – Obviously, you and your colleagues in the Texas State House got a lot of praise and press for blocking these voter suppression bills by leaving the Capitol prior to the initial vote. Now you're in D.C. blocking the special, uh, the special session called by Governor Abbott. It's just an incredibly brave and defiant act that should really set an example for legislators all around the country, including in Congress and D.C. where you are right now. Can you talk about how you all decided to take that step and what did it feel like to make that move? I think the core of this decision boils down to a couple things. One is I don't work for the governor of Texas. I work for the people who elected me in House District 45. Um, I do represent a swing district. It's one of the tightest districts in the state, uh, but it's a district that cares about the freedom to vote. It's a district that wants to have a voice in our political process. And what we see happening in the Texas Capitol right now is all about Texas Republicans trying to avoid accountability for shoving extreme legislation supported by a minority of Texans down the throats of the state. Right. Uh, we had one of the most extreme sessions in history. We passed legislation that uh, banned abortion with no exception for rape or incest, no exception for a terminal fetal diagnosis, which is just cruel. Mm. We passed legislation that removed some of our last safety precautions for um, carrying a firearm in public. This is after big mass shootings in both El Paso and Odessa right. uh, and several other mass shootings as well. It gets hard to remember them all. And we still are only removing gun safety protections. Um, these aren't things that are popular with everyday Texans. They want us to work on improving access to health care because we have the um, lowest insured rate in the nation. They want us to work on fixing COVID disruptions in education so that their kids can get back on track. Right. They want us to keep the lights on. Our electric <laughs> grid failed. 
And the issues our governor and other Republican leaders keep pursuing are these divisive culture war issues that are about them winning primary elections, not about them serving the people of Texas. And so that, that's this baseline environment. They know that the bills they pushed this past regular session endanger them with Texas voters, particularly in the suburbs and in these swing districts. So they are trying to mute the power of Democratic, Democratic voters, primarily minority voters, right. by making changes to the process that make it harder for everybody to vote. And their gamble is that most of the people who don't vote because they make it harder will vote Democratic instead of Republican. Um, there's a lot of things we can debate. You know, we're in the minority party. We lose on the floor all the time mm -hmm. on a lot of bills. But our democracy itself is not up for debate. We can't backslide into dark times in Texas's history where we structurally impeded the freedom of millions of Texans to cast their ballots. We can't go back there. Right. Um, and so we left so that we could refuse. We left because the only way to stop the bill was to say this game is off. We can hear your uh, beautiful three-year-old daughter, Lark, uh, in the background. You brought your daughter with you because, as we just said, state house reps don't make a lot of money, and your husband had to stay home and work, and you had to deal with childcare just like every other uh, working person in this country. <laughs> there she is. Um, you've been awfully busy since you've been there, bringing your daughter with you, you know, fighting for our democracy. How are you coping with all of that? Um. You know, I'm sharing a uh, small hotel room with two double beds with a toddler, uh, which I have to say is not ideal circumstances. <laughs> um, you know, my, my husband was able to fly up for the weekend, thank goodness. So we oh, did get, nice. spend some time with Lark and us. And, and I think for us, is it's, it's not easy, but how do we compare this to the struggles that Frederick Douglass experienced while fighting for the freedom to vote? How do we compare this to Ida B. Wells and Susan Anthony mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, John Lewis? People right. have been through through much worse. Yeah. And it's our job to keep us from having to go back there. And we have two jobs here in DC. One of them is to tell our story to members of Congress so that they understand how bad it is in Texas and how much worse this bill will make it. And the second is to try to give them courage. Right. And so I think there's some power in people seeing that we've left our children behind or are dealing with childcare in a hotel room um, or are or canceled our wedding. We had one of my colleagues, Celia Israel, who canceled her wedding. She was supposed to be married on the floor of the house this past Thursday on her birthday. Um, and it also would have been a historic wedding. It would have been, um, at the very least, the first same gender marriage by a house member on the house floor. Wow. And she canceled. Um, other folks are giving up the ability to earn a paycheck because as we talked about earlier, we make $600 a month. Most of us have other ways of uh, right. paying our bills. So it's, it's not easy, but we know that the freedom to vote is more important than the personal discomfort and struggles. Yeah. Well, I, uh, 
We've been talking about the work that you all have been doing on our show since we launched season two. We have a um, uh, Hero of the Week segment, and uh, you and your colleagues have made it into that twice since we started. Um, So let's talk about what you're doing right now. You you mentioned that you're there to tell your story and to show uh, Congress what courage looks like. Um, You came to D.C. to pressure our federal government to take action, specifically to pass the For the People Act and the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Notably, John Lewis uh, passed away just a year ago last week. You met with Vice President Harris and with Senate Majority Leader Schumer, uh, among others. How did those meetings go? Do you feel like they're they're hearing you? Are they? Uh, do you feel like they're getting more courage? I, I do think folks' courage is increasing. You know, we need to light the spark of this fire. We need to light this fire that will make protecting the freedom to vote a priority across this nation, because it's not just a Texas problem. It is a national problem, largely because of this big lie that Donald Trump really won the election. Um, And it's going to be a project of a generation to fully heal those wounds. That was actually one of the biggest messages I took from Vice President Harris. You know, this is not a one legislative session fight. This is not a one month fight, a one year fight. Um, It's probably not a one decade fight. The foundations of our democracy have been shook and we have to do repairs. Um, So I believe in the commitment of the people we've met with. Um, I wanna give a shout out to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand um, who not only made sure I knew Lark was welcome and had a coloring book ready for her, when we went to the, <laughs> um, but also gave us very practical advice in terms of timelines and how to talk to people effectively um, and who were the most important targets. Um, so we're going to stay here. We're going to keep having those conversations. Um, and one of the things we're trying to do, and you know, we're we're well positioned to do this because we are also legislators. We know the sausage making process Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, is we have to remember it's not about the headline. It's about the policy. So we're trying to not be too prescriptive on what we need from Congress. What we need from Congress are strong voting rights protections. And the thing that helps Texas the most makes the biggest difference for us is being back under preclearance under the voting rights act. Right. Because once we lost that, after the Supreme Court decision in 2013, that's when we have seen this death by a thousand cuts to Texas voting laws. And so our number one priority is to get that. And we are talking both to members in the Texas House of Representatives, not the Texas House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, the federal one. (laughs) Yeah, and and the U.S. Senate about that priority. So we're leaving the sausage making up to them, but we are here to keep this issue in the limelight and to make sure that they know that the American activist community will have their backs when they act. Who did Senator Gillibrand uh, suggest that you speak to and how? What was, what was the advice she gave you? Well, the most useful advice, we, we were talking through our targets, and the most useful advice was to remember that many of the senators that are our prime targets are in the group that is negotiating the infrastructure bill. Hmm. And to assume that just because we weren't getting a meeting Last week, it didn't mean we wouldn't get a meeting this week, and that once that bill was hammered out, they would have significantly more time to talk to us. 
That's a really good point because there is a lot going on in D.C. right now, and Schumer is really putting the screws down to try to get that going uh, fast. Yeah, and I just to add to that, I think the other hope is that once the Senate and the House have had this feel good of passing bipartisan legislation, that there'll be a little bit more courage to push through voting protections. So having said that, knowing how how busy everyone is, uh, what uh, what do you have coming up the next couple of weeks while you're there? What's uh, what are the plan for you all? We just today started a voting rights conference. We're working with uh, Mi Familia Vota mm. uh, and a couple other organizations to um, educate the public um, and the media about voting rights. So we just began that today. And then our Capitol Hill meetings are continuing. Um, I have made it a personal project of mine to get a meeting with Senator John Tester. Uh, because he was my senator when I lived in Montana for seven years. Right. And I worked, um, I actually worked on a ground team for one of his big pieces of legislation when he was a freshman senator, the Forest Jobs and Restoration Act. So I am uh, very determined to get that meeting once he's uh, finished his work on the infrastructure bill. I like his haircut. He's got a high and tight haircut. It's very, very... He does. He does. (laughs) Okay, so how uh, how can we help? What's the best way for us to support the work that you're doing right now? Call your U.S. representatives. Uh, in the House, ask them to move the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. In the Senate, call your senators, ask them if they've met with us. If they say no, ask when. Hmm. Encourage them to all sit down and hear our stories. Because what we keep seeing in every single meeting is that nobody truly understands how restrictive Texas voting laws already are. Right and how much worse this bill will make them. Uh, so they, they need to talk to us directly. So ask your senators, have, they, have you met with the Texas Democrats? Okay, we have our marching orders. We will definitely be calling and doing that. And, and you're right, the, the laws are already so restrictive. I, I know just as a volunteer and activist how difficult it is to register voters in Texas, you know, where you have to be deputized uh, or so, something along the lines of being deputized to, uh, to register voters. It's even worse than that. You have to be deputized in any county. So I am deputized to register voters in Hayes County, the county, one of the counties I represent just southwest of Austin. If I go register voters at Texas State University and somebody tells me they live in Travis County or Comal County or Caldwell or Guadalupe, all counties that border right in that area, I can't register them unless I've independently gone to that county and registered. And then to turn in those voter registration forms, I have to drive to the county seat and physically hand them in within five business days. So it makes it just logistically very, very challenging. Some of the other big things we're missing, we don't have online voter registration has a huge impact on young Texans and people who move frequently. Very difficult to update your registration in a prompt fashion. Um, We, uh, you have to register to vote 30 days in advance, uh, which is also becomes a hurdle for a lot of young folks and people who move around frequently. And we have one of the strictest voter ID laws in the country. In fact, we're one of only seven states that doesn't allow university students to use their college IDs to vote. Um, All of these pieces add up. Oh, Vote by mail is the other one I should say. Right. You have if you vote by mail, you have to request, um, you you have to re-sign up to vote by mail every single calendar year, which definitely gets confusing for great grandma. Yeah, for <laughs> a lot of people. Done the paperwork or not? I, I mean, the number of people I have met who have mobility issues 
who missed the deadline to get their vote by mail application in and then weren't able to vote and hadn't even realized it passed. Um, this legislation we're fighting makes everything I just mentioned worse, yeah. particularly on the vote by mail side. We've had some counties be proactive and allow folks to sign up on a list where the county automatically sends them a new application every year. This bill bans that because why make it easier for great grandma to vote? <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, um, you know, because they uh, don't care about our democracy. They just care about staying in power. That's why. Um, it's a dark time right now. Uh, Republicans are, are willing to subvert democracy to stay in power. You're on the front lines of this fight right now, and I'm so grateful for it, for you and your colleagues, for the stand that you have made. In the midst of all of this, I'm going to ask you the last question that we always ask. <laughs> what gives okay. you the most hope right now? I've talked a lot about the practical reasons I brought my daughter. Mm -hmm. And though, and they're all true, you know, childcare and wanting to make sure there was, that I would see her in the next 25 days of my life when I made the call. Um, but one of the best things about having her with me um, and she's been with me my entire campaign. I got pregnant on the campaign trail. <laughs> um, is she reminds me what we're fighting for. She reminds me that this isn't just about the here and now. It's about the next generation and making sure that we protect American democracy for them. When I look at young folks, they are so engaged and so passionate and so ready to be involved and make a difference. I, I don't see how we can let them down. I don't see how they will let us let them down. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure their path is a little bit easier than it would be otherwise. Um, and make sure that we keep improving on America's promise instead of starting to go backwards on it. Love that. Well, we're with you. We're going to call, uh, all, all the senators, our senators and everyone, make sure that they meet with you all. And uh, thank you so much for your work. And thank you so much for taking time uh, with you and Lark to talk to us. Of course. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. How are you staying engaged this year? We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven, or send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and let everyone know you're listening. Share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>